I hope the benefit to kids is better care. The best way to do this is through high quality research. But just doing a study, if you don't share it with the world in a meaningful way and don't have discussion about it, it doesn't really change anything for the patient. So by doing the research and then getting together with like-minded colleagues who can challenge you on your results and say, you know, you say that you found this, but are you sure you found this? Let's look at this a different way. Uh, and then we can all take that knowledge base back to our home programs and it can help more patients. Welcome to the now and future of orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. And I'm your host, Sam Coates. Over a century years old, Campbell Clinic physicians are recognized national and international leaders in the field of orthopedics. With engaging conversations and stories, you'll hear how our physicians integrate the latest orthopedic treatments and medical advancements in musculoskeletal care through their continued and ongoing clinical research, innovation, teaching, and the writing of Campbell's operative orthopedic textbook. To learn more about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com. And for more podcast episodes, search the now and future of orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I can't wait for you to hear this month's episode. We have a growing audience internationally, so it's exciting to have you tuning into this podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Derek Kelly. Dr. Kelly specializes in pediatric orthopedics here at Campbell Clinic. Dr. Kelly is the director of the residency program here at Campbell Clinic and is also the only certified Ponsetti provider in the state of Tennessee, plus much more. He attended the University of Central Arkansas, the University of Arkansas Medical School, and he did his residency at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. He did his fellowship at the Pediatric Orthopedics and Scoliosis Texas Scottish Rite Hospital for Children, and he has a board of certification from the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery, plus so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Dr. Derek Kelly. I read that you volunteer for medical mission trips to places like Ecuador, Central Mexico, Haiti, and other places. Is that true? That's true. Just given your international experience with serving other children and families, what has that taught you about the work you do here in the United States, Memphis, Tennessee? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting that the way you said that. Uh, the first thing that came to mind is an experience I had after getting back from my most recent trip, which was to Haiti. And I, I noticed actually something that you might find a little bit disappointing when I first got back. The gratitude that I experienced on my foreign mission was not replicated as quickly as I'd hoped when I got back home. Uh, I think people here take things for granted maybe more than they should, and it was a little bit disappointing. Now, that's not true of all patients, but I had a had an experience when I got back that was actually a little bit disheartening coming back from medical missions and, and experiencing the gratitude that I had there. What's it like when you think about the resources, the research, the equipment, all the things that you have to utilize here for the good of children and families? What's it like when you're overseas and you're working maybe with less options? Yeah, we are so well-resourced here. I mean, in the United States, it's, it's amazing what we have access to and what the patients uh, have access to. Uh, overseas, uh, and it has been a number of years since I've been on a mission. In fact, some of my partners uh, have been on many more missions than I have recently. But 
you have to make do with, with what you have. And you can still get great outcomes, you can still get good results, and you can still get happy patients. But here we just have so many more resources. And, uh, and it's available to, to everyone. Uh, the, the quality of healthcare from all across the society here is just phenomenal compared to many places in the world. I read that there's a study group, and it's International Perthes. Is that correct? Perthes, International Perthes Study Perthes. Group. Perthes. Mm-hmm. And you're the only physician in this group from the state of Tennessee. Is that true? Only physician in Campbell Clinic in this region. And then, actually, I don't believe there is anyone else from Tennessee in the IPSG. Uh, I think that's true, actually. Could you maybe share your work, your career up to this point, and also Campbell Clinic, with the focus, the interest, and the care for children that might be um, uncommon to find, just generally speaking, given you? Your specialty. Well, so we are the um, only fellowship-trained pediatric orthopedist in West Tennessee. The other uh, local areas are would be Nashville, St. Louis, Little Rock, and Jackson. So, for a very large area, we are the only fellowship-trained pediatric providers. Uh, that subspecialty expertise, I think, really goes a long way, especially for really complex conditions or really extreme trauma. What's the value to the family or to the child, given that? you have that specialty? Well, so there are now seven of us uh, in pediatric orthopedics here at Camel Clinic, and we all trained at different locations. So we bring lots of different ideas and perspectives to care. We all work very closely together. We meet at least once a week, uh, sometimes twice a week, uh, to go over complex patient cases. So when you come to see someone at Camel Clinic for a pediatric orthopedic condition, you're not just getting that provider, but you're getting access to all of us because we work so closely as a team. And then I guess because of that access and the team, it's really a gift and an asset to the family to really go somewhere. Is this fair where that's only the focus on pediatrics? Well, I hope that's true. I mean, I hope that that's what the family uh, gets out of the the experience when they come here. I mean, a lot of times families will come here either unsure of what they have or are scared, worried, uh, and hopefully they'll come out of here with some peace of mind that whether good or bad news, they received, you know, knowledgeable information, something that's going to help them, you know, make the best decision for their child going forward. Can you describe when you talked about a family or a parent being scared or worried, given that it's their child, based off your years of serving others, can you maybe share what they're thinking or what they're experiencing that you're trying to help them, guide them through? Well, so, I mean, I'm a parent as well, and, and I've uh, my children have been through some health issues. And so it, being on that side of it, it, it is very disconcerting, even though I know a lot about health care. My, my daughters have had a couple of things that have come up in their lives, nothing too severe, but you just still are very apprehensive. Uh, and it's really nice that someone can sit down with you, ask questions, receive the information that they feel is important, and then give you a, a good response as what they think is going on and what they think you should do next. I hope we can provide the same thing here, and I think we often are able to do so. So you're saying because you've been through it yourself, you and others know how to relate, and yeah. you want to guide people through it. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, there's a lot of experience here, too. I mean, I'm uh, 15 years into my practice here after my training I've got a number of partners who are even more experienced than me. So we've seen it a lot, and we we, th- we think we know what works well for communicating with families about, you know, difficult or challenging problems. What do you think has to be in the heart of a surgeon, of a physician in pediatrics that makes them so sensitive and tuned in on children? <laughs> That's funny. People say that uh, the way in the way you say it. People have uh, often, in other subspecialties that, that aren't pediatrics, they, they say, how do you do that? How do you take care of the kids? It must be really hard. And my response is, no, it's the easiest thing to take care of. 
it's more easy to take for me to take care of kids than it is to take care of adults because kids, they want to get better. Uh, they, typ they typically heal very well. Uh, they don't want to see the doctor. They don't want to be here. All they want to do is get back to learning and growing and playing. And it's, it's really easy to take care of that population, at least for me. So you're seeing a child that is naturally capable in a lot of ways of recovery in most instances, but also, too, they, they want to play and they have this youthful spirit to them, so it's fun to serve them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. How have you seen things change just in this short time since you started from the span of a career standpoint with pediatric orthopedics? Uh, it's small little incremental changes. Uh, um, it's only 15 years, which is you know probably about half of a typical orthopedic surgeon's career, so it's still a very short period of time. The changes are typically not that big. It's slow, steady progress toward improvement. It's one small study at, the, at a time that maybe we can now treat this fracture in a way that's a little bit more convenient for the family. Maybe this fracture needs a brace when before we used to treat it with a cast, and the studies show that that's, that's supported. Or maybe we can get patients out of the hospital a day faster than we used to because we changed the way that we treat their pain. So I think the changes are slow and incremental. As you keep up with the research and as you do the research, I think we're making progress. But I don't really, when you ask that question, I don't think of a giant big leap forward that's happened over the last 15 years. We just had slow, steady improvements. Things just keep improving. Yeah. Keep getting better. I think so. Is there anything that stands out to you now that you've seen within the last year or two that you've seen be, you know, really good value? I guess in the last couple of years, probably the biggest driver in healthcare has been covid and COVID really changed the way we do a lot of things. And it's forced us to think about things in a different way, perhaps figure out ways to treat pain more effectively in a multimodal way, which means using lots of different types of pain medication. And I'm thinking about this as it relates to like scoliosis surgery or complex trauma, where we're able to treat pain in a way we can move patients out of the system quicker, get them back to their own environment, get them out of the healthcare system where they're possibly going to be exposed to illness or in a healthcare system that is very challenged because of COVID, as it was a couple of years ago, when we were under-resourced, we had to come up with ways to get patients out of the system quicker so that we could treat the other patients who, uh, who had to be in the hospital. So I think that's probably the, maybe the biggest thing I've noticed in the last few years in pediatrics. And it's been going on for a while in adults, uh, but we've started to really implement those changes in kids as well. When you were saying under-resourced with COVID, can you explain what you mean there? Well, so the the healthcare community uh, and a lot of healthcare providers, particularly uh, nurses and, and support staff and, and technicians, have just moved on to other careers. They became frustrated by the healthcare system. They didn't feel appreciated. They were undervalued. And so we've, we've lost a lot of great staff. And then during the COVID pandemic, when it was at its height, many of the people who were there were involved in taking care of the respiratory illness. So we had, you know, fewer people to take care of the, you know, orthopedic conditions. What's it like going through a very challenging time, the global pandemic, and you talked about being under-resourced? How do you stay centered on the work and on the patient, on the child? Well, so at the same time, there were those challenges. There was uh, a lot of motivation from all aspects of the healthcare system to continue to provide high-quality care. So the motivation for me was the fact that everyone else was motivated to continue to do all they could for the patients. It, there was no despair. People weren't giving up. They were tackling the task head on, and that inspires you to keep doing the same. So what you're saying is you still see it, and, you, and even though you see things changing, you also see people coming together that are committed. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the healthcare providers, they, they typically have a common goal. They, they want to see patients do better and, and get well. 
all across the industry. I saw that throughout the pandemic and even still now. I mean, we're still facing lots of challenges in healthcare, but uh, people are still have that goal in mind of, of uh, wellness and health to the patient. And earlier you were talking about multiple ways for children to recover better and for them to maybe move out of direct oversight, or I don't know exactly how you frame that, but could you maybe share an example or two or what you were saying there? Well, one of the ideas that was in my mind when I first started uh, in my training during my uh, residency training, a scoliosis surgery patient, a spinal fusion surgery for a, a bad scoliosis, they would stay in the hospital for a week uh, or so. Uh, and then when I finished my fellowship, we were getting our patients out of the hospital sometimes in four or five days. But over the last 15 years, we've continued, not just here in Memphis, but across the pediatric orthopedic community, we've continued to innovate in ways that can shorten that length of stay uh, get patients moving faster, get them back to eating faster, and keep their pain controlled better. So now that most of our patients are discharged on day two, and soon we'll be getting down consistently to uh, to one-day discharges for fairly straightforward scoliosis. It's just a huge improvement. It gets the patients back in their home, gets them back comfortable quicker. It certainly saves a lot on healthcare cost to move patients through the system faster. So that's just one example of um, some of the innovations that have happened in the last you know 10 to 15 years. It's less burdensome on the family. It's less cost to the family, and it gives them back to normalcy. Yeah, and I think that's probably better. I mean, it has to be better. You know, staying in hospitals is, is never comfortable. You, you never get good rest. Uh, you're out of your environment. Just getting someone back to, to where they can really heal probably makes the most sense. It seems that you're very passionate about research, and I read that you've contributed over 100 publications to medical literature on various topics, and you've also published over a dozen book chapters and surgery textbooks. Can you share maybe your own experience and your own interest in research, clinical trials, and why this matters to you about the continued growth and improvement of pediatric yeah. orthopedics? So I, I, I really got started in research from some great mentorship that I received in my residency and then in my fellowship. I just I saw how passionate people were that were my mentors and my teachers on advancing the field through high quality research. It's it's one thing to, to feel like some treatment is appropriate, but without data to back it up, you really don't know if you're doing the best for the patient. And so those people who do research well and can really change healthcare for the better, I think they're doing the right thing. I want to do my very best to emulate that and to pay it forward by doing research here. Uh, fortunately, I came to a place where research is valued. Uh, we have a huge support team for research from research nurses to support staff to editorial staff, this system really thrives and supports research. And so it was easy for me to get involved uh, and, and do this kind of work. And I've got a number of partners that are very interested in doing this as well. So we all pick up and we, we, we have carry the load together. And then around me are medical students and residents who are brilliant and have fantastic ideas and ask the best questions and it just drives us to want to know the answers. So that's where the research comes from. Could you explain a little bit under the hood on how surgeons like yourself take the research and they apply it on a day-to-day -day basis? And then how also do you have the capacity or how do you make the capacity to continue to study, learn, and improve each year? Well, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of a, a basics about how we do research in our program, specifically within the pediatric orthopedic group. And I have, I have partners who take care of shoulder and elbow surgery in adults and arthroplasty and hand surgery and spine surgery and all these other subspecialties in orthopedics. And, and most of my partners do uh, research, high-quality research as well. 
But speaking specifically to the pediatrics group here, the way we do research, uh, we meet once a month with our research team. We go over all of our projects. Right now we have at least 40 active research studies that we're still working on. And then uh, we talk about new ideas. And the way those ideas typically come about is throughout the course of a day. We'll be in the clinic and some patient issue will come up and I'll have a medical student or a resident nearby and they'll ask a question that really is unanswered or that I don't know the answer to. And we'll go to the literature and we'll pull some research articles and see if that's that's been asked and answered before. And if the question really hasn't been studied well, we'll try to come up with a study design and we'll either look at patients that we've already treated and see how they fared or we we'll, may start a study where we recruit new patients uh, and try to answer the question. And it can be something super simple, but something we just don't know the answer to that we maybe can make it better for the next patient. And then can you explain a little bit about the residents and then their connection and relationship with you and the other surgeons? Yeah, so we have uh, eight residents a year uh, at our program, uh, and that's a five-year orthopedic training. So we have 40 residents in our program at one time, uh, and they're going to go into all different sorts of subspecialties throughout orthopedics. But because they are part of a residency program in this country, each is required to do one research study. Now, at Campbell Clinic, uh, we have such a large research infrastructure that most of our residents will do more than that, but each are required to do one. And, and they're very inquisitive. These are very high-functioning, very brilliant people who are knowledgeable, but also they, they want to know more, and they'll ask these questions, and they'll challenge us to come up with answers. So that's what really drives a lot of our research engine. But in the end, our research is based on the patient and the problem, and what problems do we not know the answer to, and how can we figure the answers out? Can you speak to what it takes to have such a large orthopedic group practice that has so many physicians and surgeons that's able to share real-time feedback on things that are happening on a day-to-day basis, but then also where things are aligned in a way for people to get that feedback and take action to continue to lead and innovate to solve things that need to be solved? Well, the way we do it, uh, I think the way we do it is, is the culture of the group when we list as our core values. And one of those is research. And people who come to this place, people who want to join this group, they understand that and they buy into that. And so we continue to recruit people who have the same level of interest who are going to continue to try to advance the knowledge base. In addition to that, we have you know community outreach, which is a very important uh, pillar of our uh, clinic. And we also have education, which is where we teach our medical students and our residents. So through outreach, through research and through education, uh, that's those are our goals. And if uh, people buy into that, then you know they'll be one of our great partners. I know you're from Texarkana, Arkansas. That's right. Does that seem uncommon to you, given the length of time, the decades that Campbell Clinic has been here and a part of this community and other communities, to where the values can still be the guiding compass? Well, I mean, I think that um, healthcare providers they they have lot they have lots of value toward patient wellness restoring function, getting patients well. One of the things that's a little bit different for a group like this is that additional step with focus on research and education. And that's that's common across the country. There are great residency programs, uh, great medical schools, great research groups all across the country. Um, but it's not it's not the common way to practice medicine. The common way to practice medicine is provide good health care to the patient that's in front of you at that time. And going above and beyond to train the next generation and to advance the research is something that's a little less common. But we have it here, which is great. I read that you did a traveling fellowship in 2019. I think that was the year in Rome, Italy, the Netherlands, Paris. 
and maybe a few other places. Is that true? So I've done two traveling fellowships. I did one, I believe, in 2016 uh, to Europe as part of the Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America, and that was a two-and-a-half-week uh, tour of Europe to a number of great centers, uh, centers of excellence in pediatrics. And then 2019, I did a six-week traveling fellowship through the American Orthopedic Association. It's called the ABC Traveling Fellowship, and it's one of the longest traveling fellowships uh, in existence in, in North America. And I traveled around the world for that one. Uh, I spent most of the uh, first four weeks in the United Kingdom and then Australia and New Zealand before coming home. How did that experience shape or influence your work and your thinking? Yeah, so it was great to do that. And I'm so excited that um, traveling fellowships are coming back uh, in the post-COVID world. In fact, the timing that we're having this podcast is very interesting because we're welcoming two traveling fellows to Memphis. They're coming in on Sunday, and they'll be here for two days uh, from uh, Central America, actually South America, one's from Brazil and one's from Chile. And they're coming here to see how we do things. Uh, But I benefited from my traveling fellowship, not so much to talk about, you know, how to place screws or how to fix a fracture, but how do you deliver healthcare in different healthcare systems? And how do you educate the next generation in different systems? Uh, and I brought a lot of those ideas back, and I, th- I hope that they have helped our practice here, and I hope over time they'll continue to do so. But I think this exchange of ideas face-to-face, in-person, uh, across nations, uh, internationally, is the best way to do it. I, I don't think a-, a phone call or an email or even a Zoom call really gets the same level of information transfer as physically being in the presence of other people and and learning from them in their environment. I continue to support both POSNA and the AOA as they move forward in their traveling fellowship initiatives, uh, both financially as well as, you know, through my my advice to them. And I hope these things will continue for a long time. So what you're saying, you're committed to these organizations because you see the value. Of course. Yeah. And of course, they provided so much to me by allowing me to do those things. Uh, and I found so much value in them. I, I really think they should continue. And, and they are. They're, they're coming back really strong now that we're able to you know, travel internationally safely again. And this is another way to improve and continue to lead and innovate orthopedic care around the world. Because if I'm understanding you correctly, you're building relationships, you're sharing expertise, and you're giving people connections. Is that fair? Yeah, of course. I, and I reach out to many of the people that I met on my fellowship all the time. I'll have some interesting patient care issue that comes up that I know someone I met is a world's leading expert, and I can send them an email and uh, and get a quick response on, you know, what are their thoughts on this particular problem? I read online, said, I'm so fortunate that my daughter is under the care of Dr. Kelly. He's warm, compassionate, and empowers the parent by partnering with them in orthopedic care of their child. Nobody asked me to find that or read it. Well, that's nice. That's good to hear. <laughs> But earlier, you were talking about the emotion, the stress, the discomfort that somebody may have when they're bringing their child in. And I asked you about that. Is there anything more that sticks out to you about to be described as warm and compassionate, to make somebody feel that in one of their hardest days that they've had in a while? I I don't know. And I hope this is a common response that patients have uh, and families have to coming to the Camel Clinic and to seeing a pediatric orthopedic provider, myself specifically. I I hope that it comes out of the way that I, I interact with patients. We're fortunate in orthopedics that most of our problems are disruptive for a brief period of time. The patient has some sort of disruption of function. They break a bone, for example. And it's going to be a life-changing experience for those few months, but it's likely they're going to get over it uh, and do well long-term. So when I see them, I have that attitude. We are going to restore your function, and you're going to be doing very well. And in most cases, that's true. I try to approach my patients by starting with the patient first. 
the the child who is in that exam room or in that hospital bed, that is my patient. Now, all of their support staff, their families, their friends, their siblings, those are people who are there to help them get better just like I am. But I want everyone to know that that patient is my patient. So when I walk in the room, I introduce myself to the patient first. I, I don't talk to the parents first. I don't talk to anybody else in the room. I talk to the child, no matter how old they are. Even if they've got a a mental disability and don't communicate, I still talk to them first because I want everyone to know that that's my focus. And then I will let that person, the child, if you know they can communicate and they're old enough, introduce everyone else in the room. Who is this person? Who is this person? That's mom, that's dad, that's grandma, whoever it is. And so that everybody is aware that that is my focus. And then I try to gather the information from the patient as much as I can first before I let the other caregivers weigh in because, again, I want to know what the patient experiences. I hope that comes across, as you've just read out, is he's warm and compassionate and, and cares about my child because that's really my goal is to try to get that child better as quick as possible. I also feel like it puts the kid at ease because they're not being talked over by some doctor who's going to walk out and have a nurse come in and give them a shot. They, they know that I really, I hope they know that I really care about them and I want them to get better. Do parents or family members ever get upset that you do it that way? I don't think so. In, th- in fact, I feel like it lightens the mood. I usually come in with a little joke or I'll say something kind of funny and kind of put the kid at ease. And I think that puts the parents at ease. I, I don't really get, uh, rarely, if ever, someone say, you know, to talk to me, I'm, I'm the dad. Most of the time, they they seem to really respond to that and, and understand that that's my motivation. Are you saying the child appreciates it, even regardless of their age? They seem to, because they're scared, right? They, they don't know what they're about to experience. The doctor's offices are typically scary places to be, and they're likely hurting because they've had some injury or they've got some problem. So if you can put them at ease, if I can put them at ease quickly with a little joke and lighten the mood and let them know that things are going to be okay and we're going to get through this, I think it helps the whole situation. You seem to be very, very focused on the child every day to come in, to let them know that you care about them, you're there for them first, and then you work out from there. Just given your schedule, the demands that a surgeon has, how have you been able to keep your focus every single day, regardless of what's going on in your life? Yeah, I've got an, uh, kind of an easy answer for that, I guess. The way that, that I've learned to go about my day and interact with my patients, it makes my day easier. As long as I keep the focus on them, my interactions go faster. I can be more efficient. Uh, I think the families leave feeling like they got a, a better experience. And so it's probably the most efficient and easiest way to get through my day by maintaining my focus on the patients. So what you're saying is by always continuing to focus on the person that you're serving, that keeps everything There's centered. no distractions at that point. You know what your focus is. You don't have to reevaluate every situation. You know, I'm going to take care of this patient right in front of me right now. As soon as that interaction's over with, I'm going to go to the next patient and do exactly the same thing. Is there anything about research or anything else that I haven't asked you about or we haven't talked about that you really care about and want to make sure we cover? Well, so another thing that I, I care about, and I, I got this from my mentors and my partners here, my senior partners uh, most specifically, is our attention, our um, desire to further pediatric orthopedics through leadership in the uh, orthopedic communities, such as the societies and organizations that we serve. I've seen so many great leaders come out of this institution and others that um, have really helped move the field of pediatric orthopedics through leadership, through mentorship, through international uh, and national collaborations on research. So I think it's important to the Campbell Clinic. It's certainly important to me to try to help these organizations because I think these organizations are the best advocates for our practice and for our patients. And so what does that look like? 
So that looks like lots of emails, lots of phone calls, lots of Zoom meetings, travel to these sites for these meetings. The timing, again, works out great. Next week is the uh, Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America annual meeting. It's This year it's in Nashville. It, it travels around to different locations, but it's, it's in Nashville this year. And this is the pediatric orthopedic community across North America and the world who get together and innovate, discuss research, present, uh, and try to advance the field. And what's the benefit to children and men and women around the country and around the world? Well, I hope the benefit to kids is better care. The best way to do this is through high-quality research. But just doing a study, if you don't share it with the world in a meaningful way and don't have discussion about it, it doesn't really change anything for the patient. So by doing the research and then getting together with like-minded colleagues who can challenge you on your results and say, you know, you say that you found this, but are you sure you found this? Let's look at this a different way. Uh, And then we can all take that knowledge base back to our home programs, and it can help more patients. If I do research in Memphis and just treat children in Memphis, I haven't really helped the world. If I do research in Memphis and share that research across the world through all the other colleagues that I have, then perhaps I've, I've helped kids all around the world. And same thing, same thing for the kids in Memphis. They benefit from expertise that's gained in New York and Italy and Australia if we all get together and talk about these things. What are you most excited about in the future if you think three, five, ten years out from now? I guess I'm most excited, if that's possible, about continuing to find challenges to, uh, to tackle for the last you know, 20, 25 years since I've been going through this process of medical education and then my practice, I continue to find great questions to ask. I continue to find great relationships to build across the pediatric orthopedic community. I have no reason to think that any of that's going to stop. So I guess I'm most excited for what's next and how are we going to tackle it. Earlier, you were talking about relationships, mentors, collaboration. Who are your heroes in this field? Well, this podcast is not long enough. Uh, that's that's a huge long list. And uh, any time I get the opportunity to talk about this, I worry about listing names because there are so many names I would I would leave out. But my, uh, my training in medical school and residency in Little Rock, I had so many great pediatric orthopedic mentors. Dr. Rick McCarthy was the spine surgeon who helped me with my first big research project and showed me so much about scoliosis surgery. Dr. Dale Blazier and Jim Aronson, just phenomenal uh, clinicians. They have such diverse views on how ch- children should be taken care of, but they get such great outcomes. And those people in pediatric orthopedics helped me get to my fellowship in Dallas, where the list of mentors there is, is just a, a mile long. There's so, such a great support system at Texas Scottish Rite. Uh, Tony Herring was the leader of the organization when I was there, and uh, he's probably, probably my greatest mentor. He guided me so many ways. He, he guided me to Memphis. Uh, he, he, uh, he suggested this would be the best job for me, and I've learned that if you listen to your mentors, you typically don't go wrong. He got me to the, the place where I am here in, in Memphis, where then I met up with Jim Beatty and Bill Warner and Jeff Sawyer and then so many others, Fred Azar, that have molded and shaped my career and taught me about the type of pediatric orthopedic surgeon I want to be. So I hope that I can serve in that role to somebody else in the future. Perhaps I've already started to do so and, and don't even know it, but I have seen the the proper way to mentor a surgeon by so many great mentors that hopefully I can pay that forward in the future. I know that they would be very humbled and grateful to hear that. I'm sure that they would because that's what a good mentor does. Yes, sir. 
earlier this week, I was with a new surgeon at Campbell Clinic, and this person had been in New York. They had been in Atlanta. They've been in Chicago, and now they're here in Memphis. You've traveled the world. You're very involved nationally and internationally with advancing orthopedics, specifically with children. What can you say about if somebody's like, that's Memphis, Tennessee? It's around 100 of the biggest cities in the country. And, you know, you might think of a New York. You might think of a San Francisco. You might think of a Los Angeles. You might think of a Chicago. But with what's going on in Memphis with Campbell Clinic and its history and the passion for research, the passion for the experience to the patient, is there anything that you can share? So I can share uh, at two levels. So if you are listening to this and you're interested in orthopedic Uh, surgical education. Perhaps you want to come here as a resident and train here at this program. I would say this is probably the best type of city and the best type of program to train in. Now, I'm obviously biased toward that. I'm the program director of the residency, so I I would truly believe that or I wouldn't be in this job. But I think it's the best for this reason. We have one fairly large healthcare system or a couple of large healthcare systems where we do all of our training. If you go to a much larger city than this, say Chicago or New York or Los Angeles, you have multiple competing residency programs. So if you are not at the program where all the trauma tends to come, you may miss out on a lot of that aspect of your training. Or if you're at the place where they do all the hip replacement surgery, but maybe you don't get to do that at the other residency. For a program like ours in a city of our size, we get everything. You get the wide breadth of your education. You're going to see everything across orthopedics in one program, and you won't miss out on anything. So for a trainee, I think a city of this size and a program of our size is the perfect training ground. If you want to be a practicing orthopedic surgeon, I would really challenge you to come and check out Memphis. Uh, I think Memphis, uh, for better or worse, probably more for worse, gets a bad reputation around the country, but that's not what I found here uh, living in this city. I've been here for 15 years. I'm raising my family here. We're very happy here. We love this city and all the things that it has to offer. I think it's a great place to build an orthopedic practice, and I would challenge anyone who's interested to come and check it out for themselves. Last question I have. Is there a story that stuck with you after all these years that you've been taking care of children, and I know you've got plenty more? where you've really seen somebody's life change? A number of patients pop in my head. My uh, assistant, my um, clinical assistant, uh, Carla, and I, we joke all the time that there are patients in our practice that only are called by one name because you don't have to give their last name because everybody knows who you're talking about because they had a very challenging course or because they came through something that was really very interesting for their lives. And we often joke that we're going to collect all of our one-name patients and we're going to have them all show up on the day that I retire so I can see them all on the last day. And by then, that will be a full clinic's worth of people. There are a lot of patients that come to mind. Um, One that sums it up. I guess the biggest one that comes into my mind, and I don't know if she would ever listen to this. Her name is Grace. uh, And everybody knows Grace. If I said Grace out there, they would know. She had a very challenging injury when she was 11 or 12 Uh, She was on a four-wheeler, dark night, going through the woods, and came upon a fence, a barbed wire fence she she didn't know was there, and high-speed four-wheeler through the fence and nearly ripped her leg off. She had a very devastating leg injury. Fortunately for her, her main artery and her main nerve were intact, so her foot still functioned, but everything between her knee and her hip was pretty much destroyed, and it was a very challenging reconstruction to get her bone to heal after many, many surgeries. And she was a toughest little fighter you've ever seen. She got back to essentially full function, 
Despite a lot of scarring on her leg, she got back to cheer and gymnastics, and uh, now she's in college. I, I think she may be even uh, pursuing a, a career in healthcare. That's just one example of why it's fun to do my job. You get these super challenging problems, and in many cases, through skill and often through some luck, you can get these patients back to fairly normal function and a long, happy, healthy life. So I could probably think of dozens of more examples, but as you asked the question, that was the one patient who popped in my head. That's incredible. What a way to end it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a blast. Yeah, I agree. It's been a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Now and Future of Orthopedics, a Campbell Clinic podcast. Be on the lookout for a new episode coming soon each month. And for more information about Campbell Clinic, go to campbellclinic.com and also search the Now and Future of Orthopedics wherever you get your podcasts. If you love this episode, please do us a favor, tell a friend and leave a review. As your host, Sam Coates, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you soon.